Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. You say it's buys, and we say hello. Hi, I'm Benjamin Castle. And I'm Ethan Castle. Welcome to episode 29 of Americans Watching the Footy. We are either at or just about to hit the midpoint of the season, depending on how you look at it. The calendrical midpoint is this coming round, round 12, but 99 of the 198 home and away games have already played, and that's good enough to be the midpoint for us, especially when, really, the second half of the season starts with each team getting a buy in one of the next three rounds. And with six teams being off each round, we don't want to just forget about them for the week. So we're going to take this time to do some mid-season check-ins, progress reports, if you will, just talk about each team's trajectory to this point, what they've done thus far, where issues have been, where they may lie going forward, and where we might see them in the long run. The six teams that are off this week are Carlton, Essendon, GWS, Port Adelaide, Richmond, and St. Kilda. A good mix of placements all throughout the ladder for this one, and we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to go through these randomly. Got our little randomizer here. Spinning the wheel, everybody clap. Clap for frontline workers, everybody. Is it 8 o'clock? Shouts <laughs> out Boris Johnson. If you don't know what we're talking about, you're missing out. They probably know. If we know it in the U.S., they've got to know it in another Commonwealth realm. Regardless, first up are the Tigers. I believe they were pretty early on when we did our home and away previews before the season started as well. And here they are again, leading off this first of our progress reports. Richmond currently sits 6-5. and five. They're in ninth place after that six-point loss to the Swans last week. They were a trendy pick entering this year to get back into the finals after a down 2021 season. And while they're not currently in a spot, per se, they are certainly in the mix. And I would say returns for them so far this season have been overall positive. They got off to a bit of a rocky start. They were 2-4, and four, though the only real stinker out of those was a 19-point loss in Round 5 at the Adelaide Oval. The three other losses were all against teams that are currently sitting in the eight, those being Carlton in their opener, St. Kilda round three, and Melbourne round six. Went on a four-game streak that ended when that 50 wasn't paid and correctly wasn't paid, may I add. The second of those four straight wins against Collingwood was when they got Dustin Martin back. That seemed to help them in a number of ways. They'd had a lot of scoring targets already, but it seemed like Dusty was more than ready to take that spot in full forward, maybe take some pressure off. Tom Lynch, even though he was doing quite well himself, just a steadying presence there, especially when Jack Revolt hadn't been as strong at times throughout the first part of the season. 
Getting their clocks cleaned by St. Kilda in round three really made me think this was the end for Richmond's dynasty. It was time they were going to enter a full-scale rebuild, really play the young guys. And instead, turns out, A, St. Kilda's really good, as we'll get to later, and B, the Tigers are just fine. And I think they're showing the blueprint for teams that need to get younger but don't want to undergo a full rebuild. And hopefully, this is the sort of path that Geelong take in a few years, where they're kind of in the middle of a fluid shift to younger guys. Some of those spots have been forced by injury. Some of those have just been guys that have earned their spots. We're seeing that out of guys like Josh Gibkiss regularly. Injuries allowed an opportunity for someone like Hugo Ralph Smith, who's been awesome. I'm going to say it for probably the 20th time over the last couple of weeks. He's a 22 under 22 piece for sure. And he's just a super fun player to watch. Speaking of fun to watch, Morris Rioli's been a great addition, and I think he's going to be a major factor in this club for a long time. And I would say whether or not the Tigers make the finals this year, unless something really, really goes wrong, it's going to be hard to look at this year as anything but a success for them. I think they've done everything right to fix the future of their club, show that their best days are not behind them, and that they're isn't a particularly bleak future like some teams when they kind of reach the end of their window with an aging group. As an Eagles fan, I completely agree. Speaking of fluidity amongst the Tigers list, we've seen some veterans have their roles shifted a bit. Loved watching Daniel Rioli out of halfback, has moved the ball really well there. Gotten time with Ralph Smith at times, been alongside Marlon Pickett as well. I think this might be Pickett's best year out of the three that we've seen out of him since we started watching in 2020. It's come to the point where they've been able to move a lot of guys throughout the old just to see what might stick. They were able to move Liam Baker a bit more forward. Jaden Short has been forward. Noah Balta's been everywhere at times, even though he was injured this past round. And I think it showed that they were missing him. He's been a nice piece going forward. And how about the way the Rucks have performed in contests and going for goal this season? Toby Nankervis might be the most complete ruck in the AFL right now. I mean, he hasn't quite been on the same level that Max Gaughan was on during the finals last year, but definitely over these first 11 rounds, he's been top of the line doing everything. He's a goal of the week candidate. He's a mark of the week candidate, even if the voters don't understand that. He should have already won goal of the week twice, rounds two and nine. Go back and look at those nominees if you can. He plays in a defensive role when needed. He's become a really versatile player and has shown that he's the sort of guy that you can really anchor your entire game plan around. Definitely helping alleviate some of the pressure on Dustin Martin, Trent Cotchin on that front. Cotchin has been managed a bit more, kind of in a Joel Selwood way. And when he's come back, he's looked really refreshed and has been a really strong handballer, gotten a few chances for a goal as well. And Ivan Soldo has had a really nice season since he came back into the lineup in round five has been much better going for goal, has been more than competent as a second ruck. And seeing how they've been able to position him and Dan Curvis kind of swapping roles sometimes has been really nice. Surprised we've gone this long as well without talking about Shea Bolton, who might be the most electric half forward in the competition. There are so many of them that that you can rank among them, but if there's any guy in the AFL that can take goal of the year and mark of the year in the same season, it's him. I've also been impressed at times with Nick Vlostone, who's been a bit quieter as of late. He was also injured to start the season, came in for the first time in that round five loss to Adelaide. But since he's been back, 
been a really important piece as to how they've moved them. And has been good in defensive matchups at times. Him and Dylan Grimes both looking at the first numbers on, on their list. Also, Dion Prestia has been able to fit pretty much anywhere he's been needed. Very deserving Yayukin Award in the Dreamtime match against Essendon. Glad he's getting the respect he deserves. Back to Vlashstone, in that loss to Melbourne that dropped them to 2-4, and four, that was probably his best game. They were in that game because of two things. One, the Ds couldn't kick straight. They finished at 9-22, and Vlashstone played his ass off. He might have been the best player on either team that night. In terms of injuries for the Tigers, it's all short-term. Noah Balta and Kane Lambert out for one to two weeks, including this bye, so might be able to come back immediately for their round 13 game against Port Adelaide. They got a pretty rough stretch there, those first three games coming out of the bye. Port Adelaide, the rematch against Carlton, and then Geelong. They might be without Tom Lynch for that, though. His hamstring injury is a bit more serious. Rounds 19 through 22 could get pretty brutal as well. Thankfully, only one of those matches is outside of Melbourne. They host Fremantle and Brisbane. Then they go to the Adelaide Oval before facing Hawthorne at home. Then they have Essendon to finish off the season. So should be able to finish things off a bit more smoothly. But potential for them to really make or break their season in rounds 19 through 21. Let's also not overlook round 17 when they travel to Queensland. They'll be at Metricon taking on the Suns. If Gold Coast keep up their recent form, that could actually end up being a huge game. If I have to be critical of one player for the Tigers, it's Jason Castagna. I haven't been high on him from the beginning this season. I always remember him as being a somewhat inaccurate kick. He's actually kicked 10-7 thus far this season, but it doesn't feel like it. I w- I forget exactly how many straight-up misses he's had as well. And he was also invisible this past game against the Swans, just two touches in that. And with the depth that they've shown, wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting dropped coming out of the bye. But I'd say the prognosis on the Tigers, we were really high on them to start the season I was in particular. I'd say the first few rounds were sobering, and especially since Dusty's been back, maybe the whole team was rounding into form at that time as well. We started to remember what potential Richmond has. They tend to be one of the more disciplined teams. They weren't in their last game, which was surprising. I expect that to be something that Damian Hardwick is able to shore up coming off the bye. I thought they were rounding into form even before Dusty got back. They were just looking more like themselves. The young guys were really finding their form, really getting up to speed and beating this team instead of just being in supplemental roles. And even if his leave was longer, even if he ends up going to New South Wales or elsewhere this coming season, they've shown that he's not the only thing that can guide them to success. They're deeper and more versatile than a lot of people expected. Correlation doesn't apply causation. It's just that you start to see changes, especially in their results before that. But he did definitely see progress from the younger guys before that. We were on Ralph Smith pretty early. It was a lot of good things happening at the same time, and his return was one of those things. So that's one of six teams down. We're not trying to drag things out for too long, especially because we just had a ranking special. We're going to have our normal round previews and recaps. So let's keep things moving here. Well, we already discussed this next team in terms of facing off against Richmond and shocking him in our eyes round three. How about St. Kilda? We were pretty low on them going into the season. Didn't think highly of Brett Ratton. That first round loss to Collingwood seemed to verify things at the time for us. And then they only rattled off five straight wins, including one that looks more and more impressive every week against Fremantle by 10 at Fremantle. 
in round two. Are you all right? Yep. They dropped. They dropped that mess of a game in Cairns to Port Adelaide by a point. Lost by thirty-eight to the D's, but have won three in a row since, albeit against weaker competition. Though that round ten game against Adelaide, the Crows were largely the better team, and it was two players, Max King and Brad Hill, that really saved the day for them. The Saints currently sit at eight and three in fourth place. And it's nice to see that we were wrong about them. I just thought this team didn't have a lot of talent. I thought their problems went far beyond coaching. I just thought it was really Patty Ryder, Brad Hill, and not a lot else. And you look at the number of guys who have been good contributors from them this year, and it shows just how wrong we were, whether it be Jade Gresham, Brad Crouch, one of 50 different guys named Jack. Especially Sinclair, who's looking like an Australian at halfback has started a lot of their best passages of play from the back ranks. The aforementioned Max King, Rowan Marshall as a second ruck, even some of the defenders where I thought they were really weak, especially after round one. Guys like Daniel McKenzie, Callum Wilkie. Dougal Howard's been up and down this year, but he's had his moments when needed. Jimmy Webster's been quietly solid. Tim Memory's another guy who up front has done a really good job. He's one of those guys who might not get a ton of goals himself but he gets actively involved, has a lot of score involvements, and I'm always in favor of him scoring more goals because it means the fans will do their insane in the memory chant. It's too bad they lost mature age recruit Jack, 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 Jack Hayes in round six to an ACL injury that was in their win against Greater Western Sydney. He was a really nice supplemental piece in the forward half, took some ruck contest on himself, was particularly important when Patty Ryder was given that two-game suspension that really should have only been one, if any. And to touch a little bit more on Max King, he does have his accuracy issues at times, but that first kick determined so much for him. If he gets the, if he gets the first kick, he should be in good shape for three goals. If he gets the second kick, watch the fuck out. What I really like about this Saints team is that they've won games in a lot of different ways. Let's run through their eight wins. Fremantle, great defensive battle. Kind of beat the Dockers at their own game because Fremantle, while they do it with an aggressive pressing style, they're a team that usually ends up in lower scoring games. Beat Richmond in a decently high scoring game. Blasted Hawthorne with a 22 goal performance. Pulled away in the second half against the Suns. Won ugly against GWS. Played very well against Geelong in that third quarter. Kind of showed a little bit of everything in different stages of that game. And then beat the Crows behind two players kind of outdoing an entire team performance and pulling away down the stretch, and then took care of business against North. Brad Hill might be the biggest surprise for me this season. Always saw him in a lot of midfield situations last year. Didn't realize how good he still was able to be, potentially in career best form now that he's got room on the wings. Has had a couple really great performances, especially that game in Adelaide in the Sir Doug Nichols round, his 200th game. Great image at the end of that with Patty Ryder and Ben Long carrying him off the field while he was holding the Aboriginal flag aloft. He's provided so many opportunities for them this season. Hill's only scored six goals and three behinds himself, but he's had 55 score involvements. It's honestly hard to find too many negatives for the Saints so far this year. When doing each of these, I've been trying to isolate a positive performer or two and a negative performer or two. If I had to pick anything, Dougal Howard's just been up and down, but he averages out to being a pretty solid player. And again, at the start of the year, I thought this team's back lines were a massive issue, and they've shown that they can hang with anyone. They might not be 
standout elite, but they're not a liability. And that's more than enough with how good they've been in the midfield and up front. And they've been able to do some of that without a couple of the jacks in there. Billings has been up and down between the AFL and Sandringham and the VFL. Higgins has been out a little bit, was in double protocols this past round, concussion and COVID. But Steele is dealing with a shoulder injury and looks like he's still a month away. But they've been able to move just fine. Zach Jones has been a nice stabilizing presence since his return. Kind of forgot how, how prominent he was a couple seasons ago. Brad Crouch has been all-world at times as well. Mason Wood, the former kangaroo, has had some really good moments. And pretty much everyone has had their day in the sun at some point for this team. Look at Seb Ross with his goal of the weekend this past round. And a couple of their debutantes have had some really good performances already. Nazai Wangany Millera is another great runner. And Marcus Windhager has a couple of goals on the season, and they've come in pretty important situations. A lot of potential in both of those to be impact players as the Saints continue to build themselves up. So far this season, the Saints have won a lot of games against weaker competition. They're not going to have many chances to do that in their final 11 games. They do still have the Bombers round 14. They visit the Eagles round 19. And maybe you could consider Hawthorne round 20 as an easier game. But other than that, they've got the Lions twice. They've got the Swans twice. They've got the second meeting with Geelong. They've got the Blues. They've got the Bulldogs. They've got the Dockers. So eight of their final 11 are against teams that are currently in the top eight. I don't think it's an indictment against the players, against Ratton, if they slip a bit in the second half. It's just how the chips fall in terms of their schedule. Maybe they're not ready just yet. Regardless, we're going to learn a lot more about the current state of the club in the second half. And they built themselves a nice cushion because they really don't have any bad losses. They're eight points clear right now to make the finals. That margin for error may be tested moving forward, but they've done what they needed to to this point to put themselves in a great position. And we've talked about them a lot more than I ever expected we would. And we're talking about them in a much more positive light than I ever expected we would. So Saints, good on you. Best of luck the rest of the way, except against Geelong. I don't even care what y'all do against the Eagles at this point. Time to spin the wheel again to discuss the third team out of these six. And it's the only other team out of these six that's in the top eight, that being the Blues. A whole lot of questions as the Blues started the Michael Voss era and seems to be working. Not sure how much of it was David Teague holding Carlton back or just smart adjustment from Voss apart from just letting the best players do their thing more. I think their performances without Harry Mackay have reflected really well on the changes he's made Charlie Kernow is leading the Coleman medal race. Didn't expect that at all. And looking at their three losses, the common thread between them is that they've lost an important player early in all of them. It was Mark Pitnett in the first two against Gold Coast and Fremantle. They were able to adjust around stoppages and mitigate his absence. And Tom DeConing has played much better, not just in rock contests, but all over the ground. And then against Collingwood this past round, they lost Jacob Wiedering early on. And I don't know how Wiedering isn't a perennial All-Australian. He deserves it if you look at his work up to this point this season. And I want to see just how they're going to adjust to being without him for, it looks like, six weeks at least with his AC joint injury. And Pitnet has yet to come back from his PCL injury. Looks like it could be another five to seven weeks for him. That's just the start of their injury issues, and it makes the work that they've still been able to do all the more impressive. Patrick Cripps has obviously been a monster this year. 
Tom DeConing's evolution has been really nice. He's able to take big marks, do some rock work, just a good physical player who uses his length really nicely. Sam Doherty's been more than just a cool story. He's been a legitimately excellent defender who we've maybe noticed a negative play from two or three times all year. He's always in the right place, never lets a man buy him, is able to contribute a goal every now and then, including in his very first game, which was just an awesome moment that was so much bigger than giving his team six points. And yeah, I think it's clear that David Teague's system really repressed these guys. I don't know how much of that is a reflection on Teague as a coach, how much of it was just not the right fit. But if you let these guys run and let them do their thing, good things happen because there's a ton of talent there. And it's been a fun team to watch. Over the last two years, I saw Carlton as very boring, very unremarkable, very dull. And this year, they've been one of the most exciting teams. They've played back and forth, high-scoring games. They play a great second quarter and then maybe run out of gas or teams adjust to them. But a lot of the time, they've been able to hold on. Other thing I want to note about Cripps is that he spent a lot more time forward this season, I think, than the past couple. Already has a career high for goals, which shocks me. But thinking about who they brought in, in Adam Chera, it's starting to make more sense, especially as Chera is starting to have better and better performances. Even though they didn't win his revenge game back at Frio, he's done some great things as of late. 30 disposals and a really big ground gainer in the last game against Collingwood, even though they lost by four there. Was really impressed with him. Sam Walsh has been going really well, may get three votes despite the defeat. Few things have been going wrong for them in the middle of the ground, especially, and they've had enough contributors forward as well. We talked about Mackay when he's been healthy. Akerno has more than picked up the slack room. And you've seen contributions from pretty much everyone in that forward group. Matthew Owies sometimes, Zach Fisher as well. I really like Corey Durden. He just makes stuff happen. He's exciting no matter where he is on the ground. Circling back to talking about Adam Chera a little bit and Adam Saad as well. I think at times they've drawn some criticism for not being big-time defensive defenders, but they do a good job moving the ball out of the back 50. That's clearly what they're both really specializing in. Chara Moore is kind of a defender-midfielder hybrid. Saad really doing a good job engineering runs of play out of the back 50. And despite the loss this past week, I thought they both played really well in that game. It was really the first time both of them had been excelling at a high level at the same time. And Saad was doing some of it further up the ground, trying to limit Collingwood's progress going forward. Did work sometimes. Want to see more of that once they go out of the bye. They'll have an easier time round 13 against Essendon, but the next three games after that are far from easy. Richmond, Fremantle, and St. Kilda. Thankfully for them, all of those are in Melbourne. Looking past that, they got Geelong round 18. The final four rounds could throw them for a loop as well. After GWS in round 19, they go to the Adelaide Oval. Who knows what'll happen there? Then they're at the GABA. They're facing Melbourne at the G. And then they have the rematch with Collingwood to close things out. Should be a heck of a final round. And let's not forget that GWS game is suddenly more compelling with how the Giants have played the last couple weeks. We'll get to them at some point in the next half hour, depending on when the wheel lands on them. And also with how the Giants played against Carlton for much of that game in round nine. That was Leon Cameron's final game, but I think there were some signs there that may have helped Mark McVeigh as he's begun his stint as caretaker. In his brief stint so far, I've really liked Jesse Motlop. He's another guy who just, things happen when he's around the ball. Exciting things happen. He's not a boring, take the mark, 
set shot player. He does a lot of quick action, and he's been really compelling and entertaining. And I look forward to watching him, not just the rest of this year, but long term. I think of the six teams this round, Carlton may be the hardest to find the negatives for, even more than St. Kilda. But if you had to pick players that have underwhelmed, I would pick two guys named Lockie, both O'Brien and Plowman. They haven't contributed a ton. And I guess Patty Dow's been a bit on the quieter side. Before he got hurt, Oscar McDonald was fluctuating between really weak and really good performances that averaged out to a solid, albeit unspectacular, player. He's out injured now. And he's done for the season, in fact. A stress fracture in his back. They put him on the inactive list, so that means that I'll give him a pick in the midseason draft, which is coming up right around this time this is uploaded, or just before that. A litany of injuries for them. Charlie Curnow's brother, Ed, could be back in a few weeks' time once his calf heals. Shorter-term stuff for Matthew Kennedy. Caleb Marchbank might finally be back soon. Not sure if he'll get time in the top side immediately. Looking longer term, we mentioned Pitnet and Weedering. Mitch McGovern has only played two games this season, but they were two pretty solid games in more of a half-back role. But his hamstring has kept him out since. He's still six to eight weeks away. And Zach Williams is eight to ten weeks still with his high-grade calf strain. There was a lot of fear right when it happened that he had ruptured his other Achilles tendon after the first one was still giving him issues from the past couple years. Thank goodness that's not the case. With how much they still have to come back, it's scary to think how well they've still been doing. With those defensive injuries, though, some other guys are going to need to step up. Lewis Young, possibly. I like what Nick Newman's done. He's going to need to be an even more prominent defender moving ahead. And there's a chance for Lockie Plowman to redeem himself. I know that Blues fans talk about Liam Stalker as a really good tagger, and he may have to really step up in that role, especially with some of the competition that lies ahead for Carlton. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're halfway through this already, and none of the other three teams are in the eight. The one of them is closer. We're going to have to hold off on them, though, because the wheel has decided that next up, we're going to be talking about the Bombers. We expected a sophomore slump for them. Not sure if we expected it to be to the extent that it's been. They've had struggles with injuries from the beginning of this season. Jake Stringer has been on and off with his hamstring injury, has been brilliant at times when he's been on, but hasn't been in there consistently enough for the team to really mesh around him. They had Harry Jones out until this past round, and I thought he'd done a lot of good work near the end of his debut season last year. I'm going to use this next soundbite here because I'm not sure how many other times we're going to be able to. Went on personal leave before the season, never ended up playing again, retired before the Sir Doug Nichols round. We miss him already. He was the first player we recognized when we watched that first game in 2020. That was on Fox Sports 2, I think it was, between Essendon and Fremantle. And it also didn't help at all that in a game where they ended up making some good progress in the second half this past week against Port Adelaide, they couldn't limit a lot of things out back earlier because they had a hard time adjusting to Mason Redmond's absence. 
Jane Laverty has had some good performances this year. Big interceptor. Nick Hind has done all right, but they're just not deep enough. They're not moving the ball out of their back half well enough. And Darcy Parrish has been ineffective when he's been further back as well. He's been racking up the disposal numbers, but not a lot of meaningful disposals, even if they're marked as effective. Hind and Redmond move the ball out just fine, but the problem is with nobody else able to move it effectively, defenses are able to make sure that those two can't get further up the field and there really isn't anyone else for them to turn to. Overall, it all adds up to a 2-9 and nine record. They currently sit in 16th place. Now, what's interesting is last year, this was a team that lost a lot of close games. This year, they haven't really lost any tight ones, any heartbreakers. Both their wins have been thrillers. So you could say that their luck has evened out for the better, but when you're getting blown out more often than not, doesn't help. Last year, they started 2-6. and six. They got off to a similarly poor start this year, losing six of their first seven before an inspiring round eight comeback against Hawthorne. Since then, they've lost another three in a row, though they've all been against pretty solid competition. In fact, seven of their nine losses have been to teams that are currently in the top eight. Another was to Richmond, who is in ninth on percentage. And then the other was to Port Adelaide, who sit in 11th and are a completely different team than they were at the start of the year. So the schedule has not been forgiving for the Bombers. They really got thrown into the fire early, playing Brisbane and Melbourne after opening with Geelong. They had Fremantle round five. It's been tough. And coming out of the bye, it won't be easy with Carlton and St. Kilda back-to-back. They've still got to deal with the Swans and Lions, but they do have some easier games with the likes of both the Eagles and the Roos on the agenda down the stretch. And maybe if they play their cards right, they could play spoiler and steal a couple games from someone and put themselves in a position to ruin somebody's season this year and give them hope moving into a 2023 campaign that I think will really be the make or break year for them. The third season we've seen already to be the deciding factor for a lot of coaches as to whether they've got a longer term future. We've seen what Justin Longmere's done in his third season thus far at Frio. And I expect that even with this club review that appears to be more in terms of the top of their administration, they'll give Truck another opportunity this coming year. They've got a lot of young talent. I already mentioned Harry Jones, but Tex Wanganin has had some good moments when he's gotten the chance. Hope to see Alistair Lord actually get playing time. And then, of course, Nick Martin jumped out with a five-goal performance in the opening round, although three of those at least were in garbage time against Geelong, and not dead Ben Hobbs, who we called that because, if you recall, the announcement that he was making his debut on Twitter, they used this black-and-white photo that you usually see when teams are announcing someone's passing. But Hobbs has done some really nice things as sort of a mid-forward. It is clearly a tenacious player who is willing to get in meaningful scrap. It seems like he knows how to pick his battles both on and off the ball. Peter Wright's really establishing himself as a great big key forward. I think they need to try utilizing him more like St. Kilda utilizes Max King. He's a guy you can go to for contested marks because of his size. And you know, he's going to be a pretty accurate kick. I'd like to see on the younger side, a little bit more of Nick Bryan, who was omitted this past week. I think he works really well in that second ruck role. And while he's had a couple of down games, He played a really good game against Hawthorne, then was less effective against both Sydney and Richmond, then left out of the lineup against Port Adelaide. I'd like to see him more because I think he's a good player who you can figure out some sort of use for. Sam Draper playing what's really his first full season has really established himself as that number one guy. I thought against Geelong, he was just awful. And since then, he's played quite well, not just with things like hitouts and clearances, but handling the ball around the ground. 
Against Geelong, he was just a turnover machine, and every other game this year, he's been a lot smoother than that. I'd say he might be their biggest positive overall, looking like the sort of guy that you can really anchor your team around. While some players definitely have improved throughout the season, although Dyson Heppel in particular, captain had an awful start to things, seems to have gotten the memo, has really picked up his game recently. The defense as a whole has been lacking. Zach Reed and Jake Kelly have done all right at times at fullback. And Andrew McGrath, I guess we'd say McGraw, is how we hear the Australians say it. He was born in Canada, by the way, born outside Toronto in Mississauga. And scored a goal this past round. So two guys born in North America scored round 11 between him and Mason Cox. They have a lot of guys that are good at moving the ball out of the back, especially when Redmond is there. He can gain nearly a kilometer a game for them. But they aren't able to prevent guys from getting back there. And whether that's an issue with some of the defense in their midfield, I know Devin Smith has been highlighted between his ball handling and some of his defensive issues this year. Or whether that's just some of the incapabilities of the defenders themselves. It's been a recurring problem for them, and in seven of their first 11 games, they have given up 97 points or more. I think Jordan Ridley is okay, but a lot of the other defenders just haven't offered anything, and like you said, a lot of the midfielders haven't offered much defensively. Someone between McGrath, Bradenham, Zach Reed, Brandon Zirk Thatcher need to step up and establish themselves. The good news is is they're connected to a lot of guys for possible trades and signings. Seems like there are a lot of people who want to play for Essendon. Maybe that's from just their status as a prestigious and popular club over the years. But it's clear what issues they're going to need to address in the offseason. Stepping back and looking at this big picture, though, I think this is actually a pretty solid team, talent-wise. And it's the first time I've really started to question coaching because I think, A, coach needs three years to really establish how good he is. B, Rutten did a great job last year and could have been coach of the year contender, but it's pretty clear they've taken a step back. And realistically, I think their true talent level is better than it's been this year, less than it was last year. Because remember, their record could have been a lot better last year. They lost a lot of close games. Been saying throughout that year three will be the real proving ground for them. But in these remaining games, I'd like to see some guys step up and display that they belong in this roster moving forward, especially on the defensive side. I'm going to mention Brandon Zirk Thatcher again as one of those guys who could do that because the only time we've noticed him this year is when his pants got pulled down and we saw his ass. Also, we really miss Anthony McDonald tipping Woody. There's no shortage of forward talent on this team. We just like him. He was everywhere for them. Played 126 games all consecutively. Huge tackler. I think that's a thing that they've missed in particular. They have had a decent amount of scores, but they haven't had anyone who's been that sort of roving pressure and tackler like him, especially in the forward half. Two teams to go in this progress report. Is it going to be the one that's already changed their coach next, or is it the one whose coach might still end up being out the door? It's the former because the big, big sound is still big. It's just different. The Greater Western Sydney Giants started 2-7, and seven, and that was clearly enough for Leon Cameron to realize he wasn't going to get another contract. He resigned after round 9, was able to give his longtime assistant Mark McVay a shot as a caretaker, and they had an offensive onslaught in their first game under him. Surprise, surprise, it was against the West Coast Eagles, but still, 21 goals and 13 different scores is impressive. And then they were in control for the first quarter against the Brisbane Lions and stuck with them till the end last week at the Gabba, only losing by 14. It's amazing how quickly our tone has changed on the Giants from what the fuck is going on here? This is an incredible waste of talent to, all right, 
they seem to be heading in the right direction. Now, I don't know how much of this is an indictment on Leon Cameron. I believe that almost every coach in every sport has an expiration date. And after a while, that voice ultimately becomes stale and you need a new presence and you become complacent with the old system and need to make some changes. And it seems like they're already doing that under McVay. Now, there's no way this is going to be a finals team. They're 3-8, and eight, they're in 14th, but they've shown progress instantly. I had said early in the season, this team has so many good forwards. Maybe try putting a couple of them on the back lines because their defense is the issue and see which of them could kind of convert to that role. McVeigh's already done that, and they've played Harry Himmelberg as a halfback, and it's worked really well. Let's also note that they've been playing without Phil Davis, who's been on the sidelines for a while with a serious hamstring injury. Their defense as a whole has not been great, although it's been a little bit better. Sam Taylor has shown some potential as a big-time interceptor. On the more positive side, now that he's finally back, Toby Green's done a nice job. Tom Green has really broken out this year and has a giant tent with his name on it when the Giants play in Canberra, where they seem to get better crowds than they do in Sydney. Also of note, James Peetling with a couple of three-goal performances in his first couple games. And one of their better ball-moving defenders is Isaac Cumming. Similar problems to Essendon in their inability to stop teams from attacking at times. They've tried Connor Iden in a lot of different roles. He's certainly a decent player. And like we said, what Himmelberg's doing there has been really good, but they've definitely had some disappointments. Matt DeBoer has really just been... An injury sub hasn't been effective as much more than that. Jacob Hopper, before he was injured, was omitted a couple of times. And Lockie Whitfield is not playing like the top guy this team needs him to be. There's been a lot of focus on him as one of the real disappointments. And he's one of the biggest reasons they've struggled defensively. Instead, the only guy who can really look at as a tagger on this team is actually a midfielder who usually does his work along the wing in Lockie Ash. I'm also going to mention Lachlan Keefe, even though he hasn't been particularly prominent one way or another this year, just because this team has a lot of guys named Lachlan and Lockie. Unfortunately, the Giants will be without Bobby Hill for an extended period. He was diagnosed with testicular cancer last week, still played against the Lions. We didn't even know that he was diagnosed at the time. Extremely admirable. We wish him the best. We're glad that he was able to go out with a goal in that last game. Who knows if he'll be seen with the Giants again? requested a trade to Essendon at the end of last year, and maybe he'll want to be closer to home now. I think a lot of it depends on what we see from the Giants in the second half of the season and whether he sees an opportunity for himself to still succeed there. With the changes that we've seen, it's highlighted the depth of the forward and the midfield groups. Steven Canelio and his eyebrows were quiet through the first nine games. In the first two, it looks like McVeigh has really catered the midfield and forward setup around Canelio's skill set. He's been a really good clearance winner and possession getter in general, has been able to stream forward like he's done in some of his best performances in years past at times. He's been the player that we expect him to be much more often these past couple rounds. And additionally, their rucks are capable going forward as well, especially Braden Proust. He's been a really nice get for them. Giants got him from Melbourne after the 2020 season, but this is his first year in action with them. And he's been really good, not just in pure numbers of hitouts, but getting those two advantage as well, even when the midfield has been a disappointment at times. And even though Matt Flynn isn't the greatest kick, he's been good at moving the ball forward as well. This was a team that I thought was going to be interesting after last year, and almost every game they played before the coaching change was boring. Sydney Derby was interesting for three quarters. They were close with St. Kilda most of the way, but almost every game they had played, win or lose, 
was boring. It was a blowout. Against Brisbane, they were in a close, compelling game. And I think that sets the stage for what should at least be an interesting second half of the season. They've got some games against lesser teams where they can show, all right, we're not bottom dwellers. They've still yet to play North. They still have Hawthorne. They still have Essendon. They've also got two meetings against the Bulldogs coming up where they could really play spoiler. They've also got games against Collingwood, Port Adelaide, second Sydney Derby, finished the season with Fremantle. They've got Carlton. They've got the Lions. So they will have a chance to impact this finals race. And I think we're actually going to get to see them in some compelling games. We don't know what we're going to get from them. We didn't know before either when they were playing under Leon Cameron. You knew it was going to be a blowout one way or another. Now they're in a spot where we might actually be entertained through all four quarters. So this should be fun. And one individual player that I'm really looking out for in the second half of the season for the Giants is going to be Callum Ward. His season has been one of pretty significant highs and lows that have averaged out to pretty average, pretty unremarkable. And it'll be interesting to see what direction he takes his game in for the remainder of the year. He got concussed in the loss to the Lions, but with the bye week, could be back in time to face North Melbourne when their season resumes at Marvel Stadium in round 13. Last one anyway, let's spin the wheel for the heck of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ryan just woke up. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, let's just stop the wheel. We got to talk about Port. And honestly, I'm excited to talk about Port. I was really hoping the wheel would have landed on AutoZone coupons. If anybody understands that reference, you are awesome. You're hired. I don't know what we're hiring you for, but you're hired. Of all the teams I would have picked to start 0-5, Port Adelaide probably would have been the third or second to last of those. They've been such a good home and away team the past few years, minor premiers in 2020, but they just couldn't get anything together in the early goings this year. They were banged up going in. Charlie Dixon didn't play until this past round. Alir Alir was injured in the opening round loss to Brisbane, in which they stayed with him the whole way at the Gabba. They missed him the next three games, and it was clear how much the defense had to make up for his absence. It seems like some teams have been able to figure him out a little bit, realize that he is far less capable outside of marking contests than in them. But nonetheless, his return seemed to have helped shift the tide for them. Also, those first five games were largely against quality opponents. Lost by just 11 to the Lions to open the season, then had a stinker at home to an upstart Hawks side. Then there was Showdown 51. The home team always tends to perform above their normal level in those. And wouldn't you know it, Jordan Dawson came home and was the hero for the Crows. Then, though, they just looked listless against Melbourne before bouncing back with a big second half against Carlton, nearly getting past them. We knew they would get their first win against the Eagles. Then they had that sloppy game in Cairns where they mustered a win with a Robbie Gray behind in the final minute. Then a quality win at home over the Dogs. Neither of their other wins have been against real quality sides in North and Essendon, so their stretch coming out of the bye will really get to see their worth. They hit the ground running, going to Richmond, hosting Sydney, and then Gold Coast. Weird to say that a road Gold Coast game matters so much, but here we are. Then at Fremantle, and it doesn't get any easier from there. Early on, we thought Ken Hinckley's job was on the line. He's still probably on the hot seat, depending on how the rest of this season goes, but things have started to even out for the power. We mentioned how tough their early schedule was. But I think it's also just been a matter of kind of readjusting for them and figuring out who's effective and who's not. 
Last year, they got massive seasons from Carl Amon, Travis Boak, Connor Rosie, who have all been solid still, but early on needed to be exceptional. Some of that being a structural issue, over-relying on them. Some of that being injuries, forcing them to be more prominent. Rosie, in particular, I thought was playing too far forward in the first five rounds, really was occupying more of a half-forward role when he's best in those center contests and going right through the middle of the ground. That's where he's been since they've rounded into form, and I think that's definitely a big part of it. He's never had to be the main guy for him, but he's been a really important supplemental piece to a lot of their best work. And with Boak and Gray getting older, he's going to need to be more and more prominent. Still wait to see if his midfield partner in crime, Zach Butters, can do more than just one good performance this past round against a team that by no means is good in the back two-thirds. He also had his contract extended alongside Rosie and hasn't played up to it yet. But their forward line has more than delivered. Even without Dixon, Todd Marshall is the most accurate kick in the game, 18-4 thus far this season. Jeremy Finlayson has been a really nice addition after some early struggles, came over from Greater Western Sydney, was goalless in his first two games, was omitted. Since coming back in round five, he's scored in six of seven games and has 13 goals to his name, including five against the Eagles and three against the Bulldogs. And even with Mitch Georgiatis having not performed well, he's been one of the most inaccurate kicks and he was dropped down to the reserves. It feels like they really haven't missed him much. Sam Powell Pepper has also provided a really impactful moment at least once in every game, whether that be from tackling or kicking or from a collision frequently against someone bigger than him. He's only six foot two, but he can really throw his weight around. He's been one of the more fun players to watch. I think it was difficult for management to figure out how to properly deploy him because he's such an unusual piece. But as he's gotten into his role, the whole team has really thrived. Defensively, I do want to shout out Ryan Burton and Dan Houston, who have both really stepped up. I think O'Lear's injury kind of forced them to search for other options there, and they've gotten a lot out of those guys in particular. Houston may be the more capable ball mover of the two. Played decently up in the first few rounds. Honestly, might have been best of round in Showdown 51, despite their ultimate loss there. The other big spot where I expected them to struggle is in the ruck after Scott Lysette was injured against Melbourne, dislocated his shoulder pretty badly. He's still six to seven weeks away, but Sam Hayes has shown really well, was thrown right into first ruck duty in his debut, and has performed more than admirably. I think overall, this is a team that between early injuries and just the guys who were stars last year regressing into more solid but not out-of-this-world roles. Though Ollie Wines has also done better as of late. Seems like he's honestly been better ever since coming back from his AFib issue, which is weird to say. Maybe it was just the round off that helped him. Anyway, they've had to kind of restructure some things, and they've done that. They've finally done a good job adjusting. I think it took them longer than a lot of critics and a lot of their fans would have wanted. But at the very least, they've put themselves in a position where they're back in the mix. I don't know if this is a team that's going to be able to make the finals. And I think if they don't, it's pretty obvious to chalk it up to the poor start. But they've got themselves into a spot now where they're at least knocking on the door and they'll have a chance out of the bye to make an impact because their schedule is going to get pretty nasty again pretty quickly. Honestly, the way Mark Ricciuto hyped up the rest of their season this past Sunday kind of tells the story in itself. There's a lot of games that could go either way. They're going to be an important team, regardless of whether or not they end up making the finals themselves. 
they're more than capable of taking games against finals contenders. They can give top four teams a run for their money. They did that even early in the season, as we saw in Brisbane. And really, it could come down to that home showdown in round 23. It was funny just with the Crows legend Ricciuto just giving that a question mark, but they got so many question marks as to when will Ronzio Fantasia be back? When might the shorter term guys come back into the mix? And just how viable are they for that gauntlet that they're going to have to run through that they're going to be one of the most entertaining teams to watch the rest of the way, regardless of where they end up finishing on the ladder. That's just about going to do it for the first of this sort of three-part miniseries, these bi-week progress reports. I'd say this mix of teams, despite only having two that are currently in the top eight, was a really fun one because only one of them we really don't see as being all that compelling the rest of the way. Sorry, Essendon. I hope you surprise us. It'll be fun in the next couple weeks because we're going to have a couple chances to really rip on some bad teams and really hype up some good ones. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Be sure to stay tuned for our soon-to-come Round 12 preview as well. Remember, it's just six games, so it'll be a little bit quicker. And we look forward to talking with you, as always. You can find us on Twitter, at AmericansFooty. You can find me on Twitter, at Castle Media. You can find Brian Harambe, the footy cat, on Instagram, at CatNamedBrian. And you can currently find him sleeping on my bed. And you can find me, at BenjaminHK01, on Twitter, I have some more endeavors likely coming my way soon, but for now, I'll be there and looking forward to continuing to break down these teams and these fixtures and hope you'll join us next time. Thanks a lot.